Well, maybe I'll just stand up for the uh, introduction. Uh, <clears throat> I'm Dick Morningstar, founding director and chairman of the Global Energy Center. I, I, most of you have been here, been here before. I want to welcome you. Uh, I, I apologize for the fact that we're in this small room, uh, but the size of the group that's here indicates how important how important this subject is. And <clears throat> so uh, the purpose for today's session uh, is to introduce uh, Andres Oslin's paper on the Ukraine energy sector, which uh, uh, is uh, uh, the, the issue of energy in Ukraine, as you all know, is critically important. It's been, I've been dealing with Ukraine for God, since what, 1993, I guess, and uh, uh, it's been an ongoing issue ever since. Uh, there appears to have been some very positive moves uh, over the past year uh, in the energy sector. Hopefully that'll continue. Anders will go into all of that, uh, and he'll speak for about 10 minutes or so. Uh, and then we have, is that what we decided? Or 15, did we say 10 or 15? 10 to 15. He has a little slide presentation. And then we have uh, an additional three speakers on our panel who I'll introduce. I mean, you all know who, I think everybody knows Anders, who's one of the most, if not the most, renowned economist on issues in the uh, uh, in the former Soviet Union, and we are very fortunate to have him here now as a resident fellow at the Dinu Petrusu uh, Eurasia Center. Uh, and prior to that, Andres was a senior fellow at the Peterson Institute. Uh, and hey, I don't need to say any more about Andres. You know all about him. He's just uh, uh, really the foremost uh, in the field. Uh, we also have, we're lucky to have Olga Bielkova. Uh, who's a member of the Ukrainian parliament and the deputy head of the Energy Committee. Uh, in addition, she's also a member of the uh, Bloc Petroporoshenko parliament faction and a permanent member of the Ukrainian delegation to the Parliamentary Assembly of OSCE and uh, was also a Mason Fellow at the Kennedy School. Uh, so very much uh, uh, acquainted with the United States and she'll respond to what Anders has said and also speak a little bit about what's the RADA, what does the RADA have to do with respect to all of these issues. Uh, then we have uh, Steve Nicandros, who's the founder of Frontera Resources, uh, currently the chairman of the board and the CEO, extremely active uh, here with the Atlantic Council uh, as a board member extremely active, his company extremely active in Ukraine, uh, as well as other countries in the former Soviet Union, particularly Georgia. Uh, and Steve will give a, a sort of, okay, what does all this mean from a private sector standpoint? Uh, and then, uh, that's, no, I thought it was mine for a second. Uh, in any event, and then <coughs> uh, knower of all things, Ed Chow uh, will, uh, uh, we'll wrap things up, Ed being a, a senior fellow at CSIS. Uh, I've known Ed ever since I got involved with energy 20 years ago. He knows more on one finger than what I know about the subject. Uh, and so he's a, a perfect person to wrap things up. Uh, this is being 
live webcast. You can Twitter on it, or whatever the word is. I'm sort of too old for that stuff. But you tweet on it, right? Is that the right verb, to tweet? OK, you can all tweet on hashtag, what is it, hashtag? AC Energy, right. Thank you, Bina. So I'm going to uh, turn it over to uh, Anders. And then ask for, and after Anders speaks, the rest of the panel will come up. Thank you very much uh, for this uh, very kind introduction, uh, Dick. What I would like to try to do today is uh, to present this in rather simple terms, very straightforward, with a limited number uh, of uh, points. So I have three very simple theses. The first thesis is that Ukraine has done a lot in uh, uh, the last year. If you want to hear a different view, you can uh, ask Ed Chow, whom we are asked to wrap it up. I'm always seeing that the glass is full, and he's seeing that the glass is empty. No nonsense about half or half empty here. And uh, <clears throat> the point is that I think that Ukraine has done far more last year than it ever did before in energy reform. Second uh, thesis is that uh, Ukraine is not there yet. It needs really to do a lot more in order to complete the reforms so that uh, uh, this morass of corruption and inefficiency can uh, <clears throat> be ended. And the third is that the West cannot stand by. The West has a very important uh, role to, uh, to play here. So what has been done in the last year? Uh, household prices of uh, gas, electricity, heating increased by about four times, from 12% of uh, cost recovery to 50% of cost recovery. And at the same time, international prices have fallen by half. So then we are approximately there. The whole picture is a bit more complicated because prices are regulated a bit uh, different for various groups. Uh, most energy subsidies were eliminated in that fashion. My assessment is that uh, uh, energy subsidies probably fell by 7% of GDP last year, which is massive. Uh, what do you do in such a situation? You give social compensation to the poor people. Uh, 4.3 million households uh, about one-third of the Ukrainian households are supposed to have uh, got uh, uh, a cash compensation. That is, you go with your uh, uh, gas bill and show how much you have paid, and you show the same bill a year earlier, and you should get the difference. Uh, gas consumption last year fell by a stunning 20%. Uh, of course, uh, this is uh, for many reasons. Part of it is the war, part of it is the economy is collapsing, but it's also because prices work. Household consumption fell by uh, 25%. Per, uh, percent. So all this talk that uh, prices don't match because you can't measure is wrong, empirically wrong. And uh, what does this mean internationally? Ukraine used a few years ago to import about 35 billion cubic meters a year from Russia. Last year it was 6.1 billion cubic meters. For the last four months, Ukraine has not 
imported anything from Russia. I think it will stay like that uh, because of, uh, <coughs> uh, because of uh, uh, the savings. And Ukraine can now buy gas uh, from the European Union instead. You immediately say, but the European Union doesn't produce that gas. And I say, so what? What matters here is that you buy from a market, that you don't buy from uh, Gazprom directly, and quite a bit of it's produced by Statoil. So what needs to be done? I'll give you 10 reform uh, priorities uh, for this uh, year. <clears throat> the first is that the energy prices should once and for all be unified. Ukraine is very close to do it. Now it has to be fully done. Oop. The second point is develop real energy markets. For gas and electricity, that is still missing. L a law on a gas market has been adopted. It needs to be implemented. A law on electricity market it has been drafted but not uh, adopted as yet. Third point, get a truly independent uh, energy regulator. There is an energy regulator, but it's controlled by the president. That's not independent. Fourth point, uh, ensure full transparency in this old murky energy sector in order to uh, clean it up. <coughs> and with uh, full audit, public audits of uh, the main energy, uh, public energy companies. Uh, fifth point, make taxation and regulation of independent uh, producers reasonable. I think that this is the main shortcoming in the past year. It has been a complete mess, and I hope that uh, Steve will uh, discuss this, what, what should be done uh, to clear it up. The sixth point is break up NAFTA gas. NAFTA gas is... Uh, a big conglomerate with 175,000 employees, uh, about a score major companies with transportation, uh, production of oil and gas, and it accounts for 8% of uh, GDP. There's no reason. Uh, what we would like to see here is a full unbundling, divide production, distribution, uh, tra uh, transport, uh, transportation and continue to improve corporate governance. Right now, a lot is happening in this area with uh, independent directors being elected by an independent uh, commission to the, the various boards of the enterprises within uh, NAFTA gas. New uh, <coughs> CEOs are uh, appointed on a competitive basis. Uh, this is, of course, vital that you have people who work for the state, the interest, rather than for uh, uh, some specific oligarch, as has uh, been the practice in the Ukrainian uh, energy sector. Uh, the eighth point is stop buying gas from Russia. Why? Isn't it natural that Ukraine buys gas from Russia when uh, Russia produces gas? Well, there, is, there are two fundamental problems with Russian gas. It's essentially a means of corrupting certain people in Ukraine and buying the Ukrainian leadership. Reuters had a wonderful report on uh, Dmitry Firtas uh, a year ago, where they described how uh, Mr. Firtas 
had got 11 billion dollars in a credit line from uh, uh, Gazprom Bank. Uh, for uh, this money had bought gas cheaply from Gazprom and then sold it at a market price in Ukraine, making during the Yanukovych period only in this way at least two and a half billion dollars. Uh, essentially money that he made thanks to Gazprom's price uh, discrimination uh, to his uh, benefit. And uh, Mr. Firtas is widely considered to have been uh, the main financier together with another oligarch of uh, President uh, <coughs> Yanukovych's two elections campaigns in 2010 and 2012. So what does that leave uh, Mr. Firtas as? A Russian agent who handled Gazprom money in order to buy uh, Ukrainian political power. This is the problem with gas trade. Uh, with, with Russia, if Gazprom stops these practices, of course then one could uh, start uh, trading normally, but we're not seeing that uh, as yet. And uh, make uh, gas transit from Russia orderly. Uh, you hear that uh, Russia now wants to build Nord Stream 2, uh, another pipeline through the Baltic Sea. Uh, the purpose is to avoid Ukraine. Why? Well, because of his previous uh, uh, practices by Gazprom that I've just uh, discussed. The problem here is Gazprom and not Ukraine. Uh, and we can see that, that uh, Gazprom has cut repeatedly uh, deliveries to a large number of uh, countries. If you want to see uh, what is being done here, uh, just uh, talk to the balls. Yeah, there are a couple. <clears throat> Nadia, why don't you come down here? There are a couple, yeah. of, there are a couple of seats. And then, uh, finally, what should be done? And the 2009 gas contract with, uh, with Russia, which uh, uh, I should leave that to, uh, to explain how uh, bad it, uh, it has been. So what should uh, the West do? The point is that the Ukrainian state remains weak. Therefore, it uh, needs uh, Western support so that the reformers, we have one here in Olga Bielkova, can stand up uh, against uh, uh, all the corrupt uh, acts from Gazprom and from uh, domestic sources. Uh, the other thing is the Ukrainian government is not likely to be able to sort out uh, orderly gas transit uh, through Ukraine on its own. I think that this is particularly a role for the European Union uh, to uh, support there. Uh, the third point is uh, pursue EU competition policy against Gazprom. Gazprom should become a normal company. That uh, requires that the EU competition authorities, which are formally very strong, you can ask Microsoft and Google, that they can be so in practice, but we have not seen that practice against Gazprom as yet. This is really a litmus test of the legal strength of the European Commission, if it can prosecute Gazprom. Formally, they are now talking about up to $15 billion of uh, fine. I would love to see a substantial fine on uh, Gazprom. 
so that it really convinces the Russian authorities that they need to change their practices and not try tricks like Nord Stream 2. And then a step further. What do you call an organization from which the president of a country and uh, his closest friend tap 20 to 25 billion dollars a year through uh, a privileged uh, a, a public procurement of a pipeline and asset stripping. Uh, Boris Nemtsov and Vladimir Milov has uh, documented this very well in uh, the booklets uh, uh, Putin and uh, Gazprom and uh, Putin uh, results. Uh, normally you call such a thing and uh, an organized uh, crime syndicate. Investigate Gazprom uh, as uh, a criminal organization. This uh, would be quite natural. Uh, we have a standard uh, saying, know your customer. That you should know that the, uh, this customer is not uh, involved in uh, serious criminal activities. We do know that Gazprom is involved in this from multiple uh, sources. So why do we allow this? Partly because Gazprom is so big and partly because it's Russian state. We should not have this double uh, standard in this regard that Gazprom is benefiting from. And uh, on the same line with regard to competition policy, implement EU's third energy package, which Ukraine has signed up uh, for as a member of the energy uh, community and uh, support Ukraine internationally. Uh, Ukraine and Gazprom have now two, or Nafta Gas, I should say, and Gazprom have now three cases in Stockholm of a total uh, with claims and counterclaims of about $30 billion on each side against one another. And uh, these are big deals. And Ukraine is all the support it can get in these matters. If before the European competition authorities have pointed out that Ukraine's, uh, that uh, Gazprom's uh, uh, practices are illegal, that would presumably substantially change uh, the nature of uh, the legal case. And here, the West, uh, uh, the US and the EU can play a substantial role. So is this politically possible? Yes. The energy oligarchs are down and out. NAFTA gas uh, managers are now driving uh, the reform. And uh, <clears throat> uh, these reforms have strong government reform. You might ask if a government is strong, but that's another matter. And uh, it has sufficient parliamentary support, but I leave these political points to uh, Olga. And by Ukrainian standards, we are now seeing an extraordinary uh, transparency. And Ukraine is a funny country, Few, a new country, so corrupt and so open at the same time. That's my big hope for reform uh, in Ukraine. And the Ukrainian society understands the West is engaged. And my hope is that the West uh, will stay substantially uh, engaged. Thank you very much. Thank you. <clears throat> Thank you, Anders. That was actually a very succinct report and easy to understand. Being a, a, do, do we have copies of the report? Out, so outside you'll be able to get copies if you haven't already 
uh, haven't already gotten it. Uh, let me, uh, is that, that's not here. That's an old one, isn't it? No, it's the one I published a, a year ago. Yeah, okay, so that's not the report you'll be picking up <laughs> outside. That was in the old days when he was at the Peterson Institute. Um, <laughs> anyway, I'm now going to ask uh, Madam Olga Bielkova, member of the RADA, to speak. Uh, and I would ask you to comment uh, as to, of course, I'm sure you agree with most of the things that Anders mentioned. How realistic are they? Uh, can the necessary... Uh, can the necessary uh, steps be taken by the RADA uh, to accomplish what Anders is uh, suggesting? Uh, and it also seems that the most, the most important things that have happened so far, Ukraine's only buying six, last year, six BCM from Russia, maybe nine BCM this year, uh, if that, uh, not that much, still six. They'll get nine BCM from reverse flow from Europe. Yeah. Uh, so six BCM. Uh, and can that continue? And is the social network really working with respect to the subsidies? Or, you know, prices have been raised in the past in Ukraine, and then when the government got ner would get nervous, uh, the prices would come back down again. And so will, um, uh, will the elimination of subsidies really work? Uh, so if you could give us in seven or eight minutes your comments, maybe I asked you too many questions, then we'll go to... Uh, Steve and Ed. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Uh, I don't know whether I should stand. Better Whatever stand you so want. Everybody can see you. But by the way, I should mention for people who are standing, we now have three seats available in the front. So <laughs> if anybody wants to come down to the front, you can do that. Uh, apologies again for the smallness of the room this time. Yeah, well. Um, well, first of all, uh, ladies and gentlemen, it's, it's a great privilege and honor to be here today with you. I arrived yesterday and I feel like home right now. But I would like to start by expressing my special thank you and deepest gratitude to uh, Dr. Oslund for his ongoing, regardless of all the news coming from Ukraine. We know each other for 10 years, almost 10 years. And I'm always amazed how people like him uh, find passion, and I would say even love to Ukraine, regardless, once again, of all known progress and strange news coming from our uh, way. I always see uh, Anders in Ukraine being extremely happy and very positive, and I, I thank you for that. So back to your question, whether we can uh, continue reforms. I'd like to start by concluding uh, not only we can, but we should. We have no other way. And this is what I'm very confident about. However, we may see some challenges ahead of us. Um, it is actually very easy today to be here and report to you on, in terms of energy sector reforms. For the first time in my political career, I actually have some steps I can report, which I already implemented. There are many steps to, to make, as you rightly pointed out, but uh, let me just look from, from uh, my point of view of what we've accomplished in 2015. You are right, for the first time in our history since independence, we were able to buy less gas from Russia, and even more so, we are buying now more from Europe, which is 
extremely important given our uh, current circumstances of war with Russia. At the parliament, we passed a very crucial law, which is changing the way gas is being traded in Ukraine. It used to be like in a social country, um, somebody would set up a price. Not anymore. Right now, we are moving towards free market, and this is very important. We made first attempt in terms of political elites to kind of explain to people and being honest in terms of explaining them how much energy really costs. We've raised our um, tariffs. Usually politicians avoid talking about raising tariffs. This is not uh, popular um, kind of uh, slogans. And actually, I don't see it as an accomplishment, but it was necessity because otherwise you cannot move forward. We actually, for the first time, we admitted that there is no such a thing as cheap Russian gas because it comes in a way as a very expensive endeavor in terms of political corruption, in terms of war, in terms of abuse of Russia, um, all the rules in, in Ukraine. So um, as I look at um, Anders' report and uh, prescriptions, I very much agree with everything. In fact, I had a very similar paper on my own published in Ukraine. I addressed it to those who are current ministers and deputy ministers in my country. And I was hoping that we will align our vision, me as somebody from the parliament who is pushing for the laws and them executing these laws. Um, let me quickly point out to you how we are progressing in 2016. Uh, as a politician, I agree with Anders that there is, um, there is a very particular need right now to establish rules for a new professional independent energy regulator. This is important because we have gas market law, but um, a lot of work is done by the regulator in forms of the secondary legislation. And um, as a parliament, as somebody from the parliament, from this committee, I was taking a lead on preparing a new draft legislation, which is, which is about to go to the parliament uh, every day from now on. Um, as soon as we have coalition, I hope I will report to you next time that we actually passed it. I see a huge need to clean up uh, state-owned enterprises, especially in the area of uh, energy production. Uh, not only in terms of their uh, management practices, uh, which also has to be updated, but also in terms of avoiding any political influence on these companies. This is one of the crucial points for 2016, and um, I think uh, Parliament will, will have to take a lead on that as well, in terms of pre uh, preparation, new legislation, and in terms of uh, making... Um, whenever it's necessary, public discourse about uh, non-acceptance of political influence on, uh, on the way companies are managed. Uh, new market rules for electricity, I would like to report to you, Anders, that we've passed a law in our committee, and we expect it, once again, to be very soon uh, considered by the RADA. Uh, it is of crucial importance to unbundle Nak Naftagas, and I like better the word unbundling, 
because uh, the breakup somehow uh, in, in our political uh, rhetoric, it, it stands for kind of breaking it, uh, removing from the market. And I don't think it's realistic right now until the moment they actually have a public service obligation. I, I think we should think in terms of how do we make Naftagas equal player on the market? How do we create opportunities for other companies uh, to come to Ukraine and being either traders or extracting companies? How do we engage them to participate in, them, in, in our market? Uh, as I travel to different Western capitals right now, very often people ask me, uh, Olga, how can we help Ukraine? And I think if there is my choice, I would invest, not because I'm on the energy committee, but I think energy sector remains one of the most problematic sectors in Ukraine. If you remove corruption from energy sector, most probably you remove 80% of corruption in the country. That's why I have, here I a little bit um, differ from um, Anders' prescription. If we go back to his slides and if we look at his slide about plea to vest, I see too much of Russia. Look, Gazprom, transit, which is mainly Russia, Gazprom, Gazprom, well, EU energy package, I strongly agree. Support Ukraine International. Here we see Ukraine. So my point is that we can fight forever with Russia. We can fight trying to discipline Gazprom, and it is all needed. I, but as a Ukrainian, as a politician coming from this country, which I think is a beautiful opportunity for investment, I try to make different plea. First of all, um, we need to increase our own capacity of producing all sorts of energy sources. This is my political dream. I don't want to buy gas from Russia, I, nor do I want to buy it from EU or anybody else. Ukraine is gas-endowed country, and the only problem is somehow we are not doing enough to engage enough of investors to extract our own gas. So if you do want to help Ukraine, I'd say start partnership via PSA or any other type of partnership with Ukrainian companies. And this is the best type of investment you can help, uh, you can do to help Ukraine to avoid even more dependence on uh, foreign um, uh, resources. Second, making subsidy system more efficient. Um, there, there, there was supposed to be a decision by the government, by the current government, of second increase of prices as of uh, 1st of April. Given current political circumstances, the decision was postponed. But there should be decision made as it is required by an IMF uh, memorandum, and uh, our current uh, way of uh, transforming uh, energy sector. But as we do it, uh, we may see a situation that because of the current design of subsidies uh, structure, uh, as, as many as 70% of population will depend on subsidies. 
Last year, they decreased consumption by 20%. I discussed with many experts in Ukraine, and I found out that indeed it was kind of a behavioral change, because people knew that the prices are higher, they have to save, but it's not sustainable in the long run. People cannot save every year 20%. They just don't have um, technology, or they don't have... Um, they don't have means to, to do it because at some point they, they need a certain amount of gas to heat their uh, apartments, which is not the case. Um, and the whole design of subsidy system is not an ideal in my view. I think the West could have helped Ukraine to how do, how do we structure this uh, system of subsidies in such a way that each and every citizen has financial motivation to save energy and to be more uh, efficient. When it comes to technology, I like to make a special case saying that um, we understand that, can, uh, that households cannot continue to save uh, energy because they, they are limited with their technology capacity. But heating generation companies are extremely outdated. They are underinvested and they waste energy. So that's one of the other potential ways of helping Ukraine. How do we uh, save uh, energy? And of course, uh, here I strongly agree with my next point with Anders in terms of Nord Stream. Uh, I cannot ask for more help in advocating on behalf of Ukraine that we need to come up with a good reasoning to um, overcome this uh, buzz about Nord Stream as being just commercial. No, it's not. It's strongly against Ukrainian East interests. And indeed, I think it is in it is against European interests as well. Um, all in all, once again, I agree with your report. We think in line. I commit my energy to, um, to fulfill each and every uh, of your points as a parliamentarian. And whenever you see that we are not fulfilling any of your prescriptions, come to me and I will talk to our people. Thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. And I know you'll be happy to know, I think we told you earlier, some of you must have been there. We had a, before you go, John, I'm going to introduce you. Uh, that last, Friday, last Friday, we had a great debate on Nord Stream, and we had a straw poll afterwards, and 95% uh, uh, said that there should be no Nord Stream 2. Now, it's a little bit of a, you know, a crowd here in Washington would be. Uh, and but John was had to get up to go, but I had neglected he was hidden there in the fourth row when we started the program to introduce John Herbst, our former ambassador to Ukraine, director of the Dino Patricio, Patricio Eurasia Center, and the Global Energy Center and the Eurasia Center are cooperating all the time on energy programs. And so, thank you, John. You can go now. <laughs> uh, <coughs> Okay, uh, and there's also still one seat up here if anybody wants to, if anybody wants to come up here. Uh, okay, our next speaker is uh, Steve Nicandros, who I introduced earlier. And uh, Steve, you heard the plea for pr private sector involvement uh, in Ukraine. Uh, what needs to be done from your standpoint? How optimistic are you? 
Uh, what do you see companies like yours doing in Ukraine? Thank you, uh, Dick Anders. Uh, can you hear me in the back okay? It's better if I stand up. Uh, you know, it's, this is a hard act to follow uh, because I think uh, uh, everything that, uh, that you just heard is, uh, uh, is really important to bringing foreign investment uh, into the country. And uh, uh, starting with uh, having more members of parliament that have this kind of, this kind of vision and this kind of uh, uh, realization of what, what needs to be done. Uh, just by way of background, uh, my company is an independent oil and gas company from Houston, Texas, here in the States. And we've been working around the greater Black Sea region for about 20 years. And in a prior life, uh, working throughout the region uh, for another 20 years. So I've had the benefit of, of watching this part of the world evolve uh, uh, for a few decades. And, uh, uh, you know, as someone coming forward here with uh, uh, the desire to put uh, capital at risk uh, into an evolving and emerging environment uh, like Ukraine, I can tell you we look at uh, we look at this uh, very very seriously, and uh, 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 much of what uh, Anders has has highlighted in his uh, recommendations, uh, you know, truly uh, are at the heart of, of what attracts foreign investment. But if I could start from maybe a uh, um, maybe a simplistic view. When you look at Ukraine today from an energy uh, standpoint, oil and gas primarily, which, which I'll speak about, it represents uh, a tremendous potential uh, in terms of uh, uh, extracting hydrocarbons. Uh, today, the major basin uh, in the north, uh, the Dnieper uh, Donetsk Basin, uh, some may call it a mature basin. But uh, by our standards here in the United States, it's still a very young basin that has uh, a lot of opportunity to be recovered from, uh, uh, from its potential. In the west, uh, 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 along the Carpathians, this is a very prolific, uh, very prolific trend. And in the south, uh, in the Black Sea Basin, uh, tremendous uh, underexplored and underdeveloped potential. And within just these three areas that I've described, a uh, huge amount of, of uh, untapped, uh, and we don't know what we don't know, uh, potential about the future. And what's attractive to a foreign investor in the energy sector is that uh, uh, really since the 1980s, I would say, uh, uh, as the Soviet Union collapsed and as funding was redirected to other places, there was uh, a starvation of, uh, uh, of technology. And so uh, after Ukraine's independence, uh, the opportunity has come uh, to bring the same kind of te technological breakthroughs that we've seen turn this country into uh, shortly a net exporter of oil and gas. The same potential, I believe, exists for Ukraine. Uh, what's it going to take to get there? Uh, the kind of reforms that uh, Anders has spoken about in, uh, in his recommendations uh, we've seen some great reforms uh, already in the energy sector, and I can tell you that uh, uh, in our work in Ukraine, working directly with Naftogaz over the last uh, uh, couple of years, we've seen um, uh, a new spirit and a, and a new transformation that is very attractive uh, uh, to, to at least this Western, uh, this Western company. And it's very heartening to be able to deal with people that uh, 
want to be transparent, that understand the international uh, business, that understand how free markets work, that understand the importance of creating a, a, a market environment that's very welcoming to foreign investment. So that's, that's number one. Number two is in order to achieve this big potential that exists in the country, there needs to be a huge amount of foreign capital brought into the country in order to extract it. All the technologies we're talking about uh, uh, from uh, advanced uh, reprocessing of existing seismic to acquisition of uh, new generation 2D and, and 3D seismic. I mean, in the country today, is a tremendous amount of data that uh, 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 hasn't always had the benefit of, uh, uh, of modern-day uh, reprocessing techniques, that through these reprocessing techniques, we see uh, 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 new and, and giant potential in the country. And, and let me put it in number terms, which I should have said at the outset. If you go back to the 1980s, late 70s, uh, early 80s, Ukraine was producing 70 billion cubic meters a year of gas. I mean, that's a huge volume of gas. Consider. And if you look at the production curve, uh, when the Soviet Union collapsed and you go into Ukraine's uh, early independence, uh, it leveled off at 20 billion cubic meters annually, roughly. My numbers may be a bit off. But what's relevant about that is that uh, what you see is sort of a, a starvation of investment. And uh, I really believe that with that reinvestment, you can see that curve go back up. And what does that mean? It means that Ukraine can become uh, a net exporter of, of energy, net exporter of gas to Europe. And it's so well positioned to do that, being on the doorstep of European consumption markets, that uh, it's a tremendous opportunity for, uh, for Western uh, uh, investment to come in and, uh, and be part of that renaissance of the, of the Ukrainian oil and gas sector. Um, uh, along those lines, there's a tremendous uh, workforce that exists in Ukraine in terms of the scientific sector. Uh, people that have been working in these basins that I mentioned for many, many years. And this is a tremendous asset uh, for foreign capital to come in and invest. And with that technical know-how that's in the country, it's, uh, uh, it's, it's uh, 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 an essential to, to, building, uh, uh, to building a proper uh, organization and building a proper effort uh, to, uh, to reawaken these basins that, uh, that I've spoken about. Uh, 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 moving to, uh, 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 to the progress uh, that's been made, uh, as I mentioned, Naftogas uh, 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 truly has been uh, uh, good to work with. And I think for my company, uh, we have seen new opportunities emerge uh, uh, because of that and the confidence in, in working with, with Naftogas. What would make things more attractive and, and, and easier for Western investment uh, uh, is streamlining what it takes uh, to acquire licenses in the country. It's, it's quite a complicated process at the moment that, uh, uh, you know, in some, some ways can be seen as an Olympic event, you know, to go, you jump one hurdle, go to the other hurdle, go to the next hurdle. And I think uh, having an ability, to put it in simple terms, maybe uh, to, go, to have one-stop shopping for the, for the energy sector to where you can go to a ministry, for example, or, a, or an independent agency and have the ability to, to apply and then 
you know, within a, a reasonable amount of time, uh, be able to be awarded a license or negotiate and, and award a, a, a license so, so you can get to work uh, is really, I think, one of the big opportunities that, that is, is in front of Ukraine right now. And uh, 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 something that I think could, uh, uh, when we look at reforms, uh, could, uh, could really transform how, how uh, uh, international companies look at look at Ukraine as a, as a potential place for investment. Um, uh, uh, we talked about uh, the unbundling of, uh, of Naftogaz. And, uh, you know, I think also in, in many ways coming from, from the oil and gas sector, one has to be careful about throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Uh, that there, there, is a, uh, 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 there is a tremendous amount of know-how, there's a tremendous amount of knowledge that exists uh, 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 you know, within Naftogaz, and I think, as you put it, uh, uh, maybe breakup, uh, you know, or such a destructive term is not not the right way to put it, because there are some good elements that that are are essential to uh, a renaissance of uh, uh, of these uh, uh, of these producing areas uh, in the country, and uh, you know, in, in some ways, you know, you have to consider companies like BP or Statoil all began. State companies at, at one time and found their way into the into the private sector and uh, maybe there's a middle a middle a middle model that uh, uh, that could be there to preserve the good uh, the, to preserve the good that is there. Most importantly, is a comp having a competitive environment. Uh, the third energy package is is really important to be able to have a feeling as an upstream producer uh, producing company to have the feeling that you're going to have the ability. To go into an environment that uh, uh, you won't be at a competitive disadvantage to a pre-existing monopoly, uh, and uh, having the ability uh, to use your trading uh, trading capabilities to trade what you produce, if you wish, uh, in in a market that is is truly marked to the to the market, uh, as as opposed to being artificially uh, artificially managed. Um, uh, then, I, then I'd say, lastly, in terms of Western support, uh, uh, I think we really do need uh, a stronger push uh, from uh, here in this city in order to, uh, uh, to encourage, uh, uh, in particular, U.S. investment uh, in Ukraine uh, for, uh, for not only uh, economic reasons, uh, you know, business from this country and the technology that comes from this country and the oil and gas sector. Uh, can really build uh, a bridge, uh, a bridge of understanding, and uh, uh, a, a bridge of closer relations, and and a more competitive market. Uh, uh, and uh, again, I use the example that uh, here in the city in 2003, our energy department said we were going to run out of gas in 10 years, and so we better build uh, LNG importation facilities all around uh, all around the country and. Thanks to the technology of our industry, we're now converting those import facilities to export facilities. And, and I, I highlight that again because I think Ukraine holds the same potential. And that's, that's what excites me about going to invest, uh, putting our investment in this country. And uh, uh, if, we can, uh, if we can find our way to, uh, to support Ukraine's uh, security, that security creates the umbrella for, for investment because it's not hundreds of millions of dollars that's required to achieve, you know, getting closer again one day to the 70 billion cubic meters a year. It's billions of dollars of investment that's going to be required from the international community. And having that, uh, 
uh, cover of security uh, for those investments is, uh, is going to be critical to that, to that renaissance. Thank you. Well, th <clears throat> thank you very much, Steve. Um, I would ask Ed to sum up and maybe give us a little bit of a reality check here. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, uh, Nadia, who I've known for many, many years, she knows how much I care about Ukraine. My mother, you know, my grandmother was from Odessa, uh, and yet we've all been through a lot of ups and downs uh, ever since Ukraine uh, uh, became independent. And uh, uh, is it different this time? Do you think? What do you, what do, what do you think, Ed? What's what's the reality uh, with respect to what you've been hearing uh, uh, today? Uh, thank you, Dick, for the opportunity to join this panel today. Uh, I think I'm going to sit down so that fewer people can see me, uh, <laughs> and and no one's ever had any problems hearing me before. So I, I think I'm going to sit. Um, uh, yeah, Anders knows that uh, I have the utmost respect for his work. And in particular, I have utmost respect for his ability to maintain his optimism about <laughs> Ukraine and Ukraine's energy uh, uh, sector reform, uh, to which I support very much in spirit. Um, uh, Anders tells us the glass is half full. Um, I'm constantly looking for where the glass is and, and, and what I would put in it if I were to find it. Um, it. So here's what I would put in it, and, and this is not only for uh, working on Ukraine energy sector for uh, almost 15 years now, something like that, uh, but also from a couple of recent uh, visits to, to, to Ukraine in December and, and March. Um, the first problem, it seems to me, is that there is no united reform team on energy in Ukraine. The prime minister doesn't talk to the energy minister at Anaftahas, and uh, the energy ministry hardly talk to each other. Um, and, and there is a, a uh, in contrast to, to, to say, in, in, in the finance sector, it, it's hard to see a un, unified reform team uh, in Ukraine right now. And, and, I, and I think, you know, again, uh, I think some of my co-panelists would agree with me on some of the points I'm about to make. It's just it's kind of the, the, the perspective and the nuance you, you, you put in it. And, and, and that becomes a problem. Uh, you know, when, when you have your economy minister resign two months ago, uh, partly because of a scandal related to Nafta House and, and, and division within the government, that's a problem. Uh, when the, um, the uh, home of the Secretary of Dorado's Energy uh, Committee was, uh, had a, a gasoline bomb thrown at it uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, that's a problem. Uh, it, and, and so people are suspicious about what's really going on. Uh, the, uh, uh, I don't know if uh, Olga's uh, committee chairman is still the same or not, but, but uh, he's a controversial figure. Uh, with, 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 uh, he's no longer. But, but he was uh, Mr. Martinenko I'm talking about, whose hotel I, I like to stay at when I'm there. Um, <coughs> So when, when you don't have public confidence, 
Um, the game has a way of maintaining itself. Uh, old habits die hard. Um, so the, the first thing a government, a new government needs, and, and I agree with Anders, a lot has been done, accomplished in 2015. He says the most since in the 25 years of Ukrainian independence, and I agree with him, but that's a really low bar, right? Um, you need to um, articulate a reform vision and then sell it to the public in order to sustain the reform momentum, uh, it, it seems to me. And most importantly, to the uh, people's elected representatives in the RADA. So, so the RADA has a, a major role to play in it. But, but when, when you don't have that, then, and you have the same bureaucracy still there, um, you know, licensing is a problem. I'm, I'm sorry, Steve, it's not a convoluted system because people like it that way. It's, 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 no, it's not an accident that it is the way it is. Uh, no, first, you probably need to fire half the people in the Ministry of Ecology and Natural Resources. And then after you're done firing half, you fire the other half. Um, and, and, and because otherwise, every stop is a, uh, is, is a, a rent-seeking uh, opportunity. Uh, pricing, yes, uh, the burnative prices have been reformed. Uh, uh, partly because of the IMF insistence, uh, but, but I'm hoping not only, I'm a little concerned why the next one was delayed, uh, but wellhead prices need to be reformed. With you don't reform wellhead prices and the way it's set, um, this arbitrage between artificially low wellhead prices and higher burnative prices means that the shadowy market is maintained. Um, one state entity who says it's an oil company and doesn't really produce gas but does, uh, doesn't give its gas to its parent company because it's never going to be paid for it, and instead transfer that gas to some oligarch's petrochemical plant. I mean, I'm not making these things up. These are examples the Ukrainian colleagues uh, presented to me uh, just, just last month. So. You, you need to uh, uh, have a vision, a plan, a pathway to get you to where you want to go. And of course, you can't do it overnight. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm real, realistic there. Um, I would blow up Nafta Haas myself uh, in a controlled explosion because I think it's very hard um, to um, reform a national oil company, and I may be biased by having just returned from Brazil. Um, <laughs> it's very hard to reform a national oil company um, whose membership, uh, whose management is, is appointed politically uh, and have that um, uh, national oil company be your competitor, your partner, and your regulator all at the same time. Uh, that, that's really a hard uh, to, to uh, achieve. Um, finally, NAFTA Haas has audited uh, financial accounts published last year without reservation. That's great. How about some of, some of its subsidiaries? How about uh, uh, publishing separate uh, financial accounts for um, uh, Ucratrans Gas, for example, which is the, 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 the uh, subsidiary that a lot of people are, are, are concerned about? Um, 
Now, the 2009, um, um, uh, Andres wanted me to say something about the 2009 gas contract. Um, I, I advised the State Department in March of 2014, the first thing the new Ukrainian government should do is to renounce the 2009 uh, um, uh, gas contract signed by Timoshenko because it was technically fundamentally flawed. Um, instead, this has continued. Uh, all subsequent agreements with Russia has been amendments to that base agreement that was a strategic mistake, uh, which put, will put Ukraine in a very vulnerable position when it comes to uh, arbitration in, in, in Stockholm. Um, Ukraine needs a lot of help on capacity building, um, and, and this is on Ukrainian and, uh, economic reform in general. Um, let's face it, it's going to take tens of billions of dollars over a five to ten year effort by the, on the part of the West. I agree with Anders on, on that. The West haven't uh, supported Ukraine sufficiently on economic reform. But the problem is that they pretend to reform and we pretend to support them. Uh, un un unless we put in the kind of the commitment uh, that's truly required. Um, the good thing about the energy sector though, unlike other reform uh, areas with, that I imagine to be even more difficult, uh, healthcare, for example, or education, is that the energy sector can release economic value. It can make the country richer. It can make the government uh, coffers richer, uh, unlike other sectors. And, but in order to do that, you need public confidence that what you're doing is honest and the right things to do, and you have to sell that first. It cannot be a redivision of spoils, a, a different oligarchic groups taking over what other oligarchic groups controlled before. It's really nice to have this show of Mr. Kolomoisky withdrawing from Ukra Transnafta, but if old other people come in instead, that doesn't tell the, the kind of story you want. And the Ukrainian public is extremely skeptical up after two years that not sufficient have been done and what is being done may be explained by, by other reasons. Um, I mean, Steve is absolutely right. Uh, Ukraine has the potential to be more than energy self-sufficient uh, as it was before. Uh, the problem with Ukraine was never geology. It was the above ground risks in Ukraine that has uh, stifled investment in the Ukrainian energy sector. And until Ukraine uh, demonstrates the political will and we can inject some capacity to help on that uh, uh, authentic uh, energy reform, I'm, I'm still very concerned that we're, uh, we are left in a very vulnerable position. Ukraine should be an asset to European energy security, not a liability. And unfortunately, in Brussels and other European capitals, it is often seen as a liability. With that, I'll stop. Did I provoke enough? Yeah, yeah I think you did. <laughs> I, th I think you did, and I think that uh, uh, you are voicing uh, a lot of frustration that many of us have seen from the last 20 plus years of failed attempts uh, at reform and maybe a couple of steps forward and then things just falling back again. And so the question that I would ask the rest of the panel, I guess starting with Anders, is why is this different? 
mean, you know, you have a very, it's, you all point a very unpopular government right now. There'll be elections. Uh, uh, is there going to be a, uh, you know, an attempt to roll back, you know, roll back uh, uh, prices, <clears throat> prices again, and creating more, creating more subsidies because people are going to be upset about what they're paying. Are we just, is it going to be the same old story all over again, or is this really different? Is this can can you justify, Anders, your optimism uh, that uh, that that it might be different? And also, uh, Steve and, and Madame Bielkova, uh, why why do you think it might be different? Yeah, thank you very much, and thank you Ed for uh, excellent uh, critical comments. First, what concerns who has done the reforms? Essentially, it has been uh, the leadership of Nafta Gas that has formulated reform, and they have had support from the Minister of Finance, the Minister of Economy, and substantial support from the Prime Minister, and uh, got the support they needed from Berada, who has not supported anything, has been the Minister of Energy. So this has been the big discrepancy uh, in it. And uh, what I'm uh, <coughs> concerned about now it is that Ukraine did not increase the gas prices for households as uh, uh, promised to the IMF now on the 1st of April. Mm -hmm. This is vital and needs to be done. Uh, if you have got market prices, uh, market adjusted prices for uh, energy, normally they hold, but you have to unify them. So, uh, uh, Ed is quite right that uh, there is still this uh, arbitrage between control prices and uh, of, at various levels, but it is much less than it was before. It has to be eliminated. If it's eliminated, I think uh, that it uh, uh, will hold. And um, with regard to reforms, they are always messy processes. Leszek Balcerowicz was the most hated man in Poland when he did the reforms there. Now everybody tells us that it was easy to do reforms in Poland because there was a public consensus. Nothing of the kind. And uh, if you look upon the most successful reform countries in the post-communist period, uh, the three Baltic countries and Poland, they changed government on average, every year. They had 10 different governments in the, uh, in the uh, uh, first decade, uh, each of them. So therefore, if your main problem is corruption, you d won't get a united team, because you will always have people who are bought by the corruption that is still possible in the system. So a unified reform team is uh, impossible. It doesn't happen. It hasn't happened virtually anywhere, and uh, it, it won't happen. Instead, you want political destabilization. I think it would be very good with early elections, uh, because uh, uh, some part of uh, the parliament, not Olga, but other parts of the government, uh, parliament need to be, be renewed, and that you do through early elections. So I'm not afraid of political instability, not that there is uh, strong dissonance within the government. What's important is that it moves uh, forward. And this, of course, is to say, as Ed also says, that the West must not uh, uh, give up on Ukraine. This is doable.
Any comments uh, from you, Madam Bilkova, from Steve? Yeah. Well, I wish I had Ed's eloquence and uh, sense of humor and ability to kind of put difficult information in a joyful way. Uh, but uh, let me tell you, I kind of agree with you in terms of the way you list facts, but I see them in a different manner. And let me just bring you a few of the points. Yes, I agree that there is no unity of voice. And yes, I agree that not all the ministers are in love with each other. But you'd be surprised as somebody who was go-betweener, you know, uh, arbitrating, let's say, new gas market law. I worked with everybody and I was able to gather their support when it was needed which was not the case with the previous governments, which was not the case when I was in opposition. So I do see difference. Not only that, but my mom, my friends, they knew what I was working on, which was not the case with the previous parliaments. People know what new gas market law means. Well, some parliamentarians didn't read the law, but people know, and I think this time, society at large, expert community, NGOs, they control my life. You will, you know, every month I run one or two public hearings. By the time I come home, I lose two kilograms of weight because <laughs> they ask tough questions and they push me to, to do hard work in a, in a very different professional manner. So that's one, society is very much involved and they expect change and they put pressure. Second, I think circumstances of war and our economic situation make this case very different from, from the previous times. And as I said from the very beginning, some politicians do not want to raise prices. Who would want to raise prices for gas? But they understand they have to. The reality is well, whether it's IMF not committing any additional funds which are necessary for economy at large or because we finally understood there is no cheap gas in our country. Uh, so people, people will, uh, will buy more into, into this logic of reforms. But I totally agree with you that there is no, no strategy around how to explain reforms. That's why I actually started writing blogs because I think, well, sometimes it's easier for me to explain it, not, not the minister, but uh, and, and some of the people in the executive office. And, and some people, actually, they, they do understand this explanation. But I agree with you, more, more has to be done. And um, I strongly disagree with you, surprisingly. I don't believe I don't believe in early elections. I think we have enough of disruption, especially with the current law on uh, elections. Well, what you will end up with, you will have uh, less August. Uh, you will have a lot of interruption in terms of all the processes. Right now, I have law on regulator, law on uh, electricity market. I have fiscal regime for, tax, uh, for oil and gas companies. I have, I actually know what to do. I read your books, you know? <laughs> I know what to do. It's just every time we are about to do something, there is another interruption, which is not good. So I, I ask you to re 
revisit your observation. <laughs> Let's see what we can do. So this radar is more efficient. It's not that I'm afraid of not being part of the third uh, you know, term. It's just I do want to change Ed's perception of Ukraine. I do want him to come and be as much optimistic as you are right now. <laughs> I wanna, so please I, help me to help. I want to say, going back to your very first comment, as eloquent as Ed was, you have certainly matched him. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Steve, do, any comments? No, and then we'll go to the audience for some questions. Just a brief comment. You know, I think it's easy to, uh, uh, it's always easy to give advice, you know, and, uh, and I know that's why we're here. Uh, but part of this is a, is a dance that, you know, a dance requires two participants. And I think the private sector bringing investment uh, is, the, is the counterbalance to this dance. And there has to be a willingness of risk takers to work in an imperfect world uh, to create a reason to evolve and a reason to change. Uh, if we sit too much and paint this awful picture, uh, there are going to be very few risk takers like us that are willing to go in and, uh, and, uh, and bet that things will change. And you know, as I said earlier, the reason we're betting that things will change is that when we meet members of parliament, when we meet uh, uh, the new management of Naftogaz, you get a spirit that says, huh, this is worth making a bet on, that things are going to change, that there's, uh, I can't describe it, you know, it's a, and I've got a big gut, it's a gut feeling, you know, it's a gut feeling that this is a risk worth taking. And I think somehow we have to find a way to uh, encourage the risk takers uh, to come into an imperfect uh, situation on the bet that over the long term, economic uh, logic will prevail because of the potential that Ukraine has and the potential that the country's natural resources have to generate the kind of uh, uh, revenues for the country, the kind of employment for the country that is going to be the, the fuel for turning it around. Uh, if the fence, if the, if the advertisement's always up that this is, this is a mess, um, it's pretty hard to attract that. And so somewhere there has to be a balance of, uh, of, uh, 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 of how this message is being put out. Okay, let's go to the audience. I see a hand right here towards the front. If you could identify yourself, we have a microphone for you. We have about 15 minutes, but a little. Okay, I'll be brief. Myron Rabi, Dentons. We're a law firm, largest law firm in the world. We have a large, substantial office in Kiev, and I'm in charge of the energy sector. Uh, an observation and a comment. I agree with you, Olga. I think uh, elections would be a disaster if you want to see a low vote, voter turnout. Have new elections. As people do not want them. If you talk to people in Ukraine, there, it is not a positive step. What I'm concerned about is one of the points you raised, Osland, and that you're focusing on fiscal reform for private energy. And I champion Frontera for being there and I champion my clients for being there, you can't have a revolution, you can't have a war, you can't have very trying fiscal restraints on the private sector <clears throat> and a focus on long-term macroeconomic reform 
in the energy sector, it's successful. I completely agree that Naftogaz is doing a great job. But you've killed the private oil and gas industry in the last two years, year and a half. Only as of January were tariffs changed that were just prohibitive. The majors in the, in, in the sector are out. PSA PSAs in the uh, shale gas out. Everybody has reduced their uh, development programs virtually to a standstill because the tariffs were prohibitive. I have no idea why there was such a dichotomy between the energy sector and Ministry of Finance in trying to get these things changed. Now, you have a horrible picture of investment in the past year and a half in private energy. You, this year, as of January, it's only getting started. Now, you need to add your law, which everybody will support, in the private sector in particular, but you need to have a consistent message that we're not going to go back to what we did before. We need to understand that if we're only talking of private sector investment as of January, we're not going to get any private sector investment really until the next year or the year after. So we have two years, a year and a half of a horrible situation in the private sector. So there has to be a lot of encouragement of existing investors to fill that gap. And in that regard, you need to have, yes, a reduced uh, procedural constraints to issue licenses, but the government also has to issue worthwhile licenses. Because historically, when they had a tender to, uh, on gas licenses, they were all crap. Nobody wanted to invest in them. I mean, it was a standing joke. They had the same list that was moved over year after year after year. Everybody looked, oh, I've seen that list. Nobody's interested in it. Because all of the nice, worthwhile assets would go into private hands. Uh, that needs to change as well to make that attractive view to invest. Great, we have a short procedure, but do you have anything you want to buy? Uh, and lastly, I think it's important uh, we hope that uh, fiscal restraints will be eased up slowly, that the IMF will let that happen. Because as we understand, but you need to allow business to restructure. You need to allow business to get money out of Ukraine to reinvest it into Ukraine. And right now, that can't happen very well. And bearing in mind that the last year and a half has caved valuations on Ukrainian assets to, to a bare minimum, uh, Burisma stands here as, an, uh, as I believe they were on the list of people here who acquired a Ukrainian asset, Serenus. That's the only major transaction in Ukraine in the market in the last year and a half. Uh, in fact, they acquired it from my client. My our client remains. Uh, if you look at the valuations, they're tremendously low. So there's a good opportunity to enter the market if uh, the message with the help of Olga and private sector remains strong. But that's where the encouragement is needed. Uh, my personal view, obviously, I'm from the private sector, but uh, that's the point I wanted to make. Thank you. Yeah, uh, thank you for those comments. They were extensive but important, and you made, I think, some very important points. And I think that it comes back, it seems to me, to the key point that there are that 
maybe we didn't talk enough about on the panel, uh, that there are perceived and real commercial and political risks right now in Ukraine that have to be taken into account. Steve, I think, deserves a lot of credit as being an exceptional risk taker, uh, but there aren't many companies willing to do that. And, and, and that uh, uh, it's important that, uh, that this has to be different this time. And it's going to take some time to uh, you know, take the kind of actions that were just being discussed that you brought up, uh, and it's going to take some time. But uh, I guess that's my comment. Let, let me just uh, tell you, I, I, I'm really thankful to you for you bringing this uh, issue up because usually whenever I go to all these en energy conferences, all I talk about taxation, all I talk about my plans, how do we change fiscal terms. And this time I thought, well, I'm in Washington, people are very smart here and we should talk about like geopolitics and, you know, Gazprom and what have you. So uh, <laughs> let me report to you, I, just before I departed for uh, this See, I talked to IMF people, technical mission, and it was a conversation to kind of compare our um, feelings for, for this year change. So we are still discussing, and the decision is to be made by the 1st of July. That's the plan. 1st of July, the new system of taxation for oil and gas industry as of beginning of 2018 because that's a new, completely new system. So what we are discussing right now is uh, lowering royalties, most probably, but once again, that's my vision, uh, one rate, not two rates, as it used to be, depending on the depths, and uh, CPT surcharge. We worked, as you know, with IHS, they had different models. I am personally in favor, after talking to many people like you, uh, who I try to drag into Ukraine to bring uh, for long-term uh, investment. Uh, I'm in favor of uh, low royalty and additional CPT surcharge, regardless of the amount. I think it will take care of the um, geological conditions and profitability in itself. So this is what we are working on it. Uh, on, on right now. Uh, unfortunately, because of the budget uh, scheme being um, criticized too much, but we, the one which was offered by the uh, Minister of Finance, Yareska, uh, oil and gas issue was part of the package which was um, blocked in that package. So we are waiting for the new government and if they do not submit this law, I will, I promise. We have uh, five, five more minutes, so let's take another, another question, and then we should give the panel uh, you know, some maybe brief concluding comments. I see a hand over there. Ilya Zaslavsky, uh, energy consultant and uh, researcher at the Chatham House and Legatum Institute. Uh, two, two quick questions. Uh, um, firstly, uh, Panama Papers mentioned yesterday that uh, United Russia deputy Alexander Babakov owns 20% of VS energy company, uh, energy company in Ukraine. Uh, so my question is, how much Russian controlled ownership of energy assets in Ukraine reduced and how much of it is remaining uh, in, in Ukraine? And how is it influencing your reforms and your process in the energy sector? Uh, and a second question uh, on uh, Ukrainian gas storages. No one mentioned them. Uh, I, 
I presume that they were big part and big sort of asset for uh, integrating with uh, Europe. Uh, but um, are they now, wh what is going on with them? Are they a liability or an asset? How do you see their place in um, energy development in Ukraine? Thanks. Why don't you start anyway? Yeah, well, um, on uh, Panama Papers, uh, to be honest, I didn't know about this recent um, development. Uh, we, I'm In general, I think the more transparency we bring in terms of beneficial ownership in terms of oil and gas companies, the better it is, regardless of who is behind, whether it is former minister of uh, ecology of Ukraine, or somebody who is a uh, pep from uh, Russia. There is a common feeling right now in Ukraine that Russian investors are uh, perceived differently from before. This is not to say we don't want to see any Russians, but especially in the area of energy. I think we, we would rather see more of US and EU investors or Asian, uh, but given our war and given that the gas was always a threat to our country, uh, we would probably prefer to have less of investment. However, we develop country with rule of law, so whatever will happen with these assets should happen according to international standards. By no means I'm advocating to, advocating to kind of uh, put at question their ownership. Uh, we will investigate it further. Um, to your second question, storage facilities and transmission system. It was actually one of my points, but I omitted it. So thank you for bringing it up. One of the ways to help Ukraine is actually to invest into storage facilities and transmission system. Nord Stream 2 is presented as a commercial matter of different companies. I do want to sell the same story about our transmission system. Once European and US investors will take part in this endeavor, it will be fairly easy to deflect all the attacks by uh, Russian uh, populists and you know, uh, commercial managers. So that's, that's, we see it as potential, uh, potential asset but I, I, I know that it will not be easy to do. And here I, I hope that NAFTA gas management and uh, country leadership will take it very seriously. And they will lead these negotiations and they will have it as their priority. Thank you. I think, unfortunately, I don't think we can take any more questions. It's 5.30 and we always stop on time. But I would ask the panelists if you have like 30 second concluding remarks if any, uh, don't feel compelled uh, <laughs> that, you would, that you would like to make. Ed. Uh, I just want to say that I completely uh, agree with Olga that um, what I found in my last two visits is that the strength of the, the country is in civil society. Uh, and and um, there's open discussion of all the issues, uh, facts are being brought up. There's investigative reporting, if there's suspicion of, of wrongdoing. Uh, Ukraine has demonstrated more than once, certainly in 2004, 2005, uh, and, and then again in, in 2013 and 2014, 
the, the, the strength of, of the country is in society and not its political leadership. And, and, it, and this is why I made such a strong point on, on the need to gain public support and public support through its elected representatives in order to sustain the path. Uh, otherwise, you know, Dick likes to compare Ukraine energy sector reform with the movie Groundhog Day. And I'm surprised he hasn't brought this up yet. And, and, and uh, if you think I, I, about such the, an old line of mine, I'm finally it, giving it if up. If you think about the movie Groundhog Day, the Bill Murray character actually learned after many, many failed attempts. He, there was, it, it's actually a, a film about redemption, about the possibility for change, the possibility of improving yourself internally. And, and um, but, what I, my concern with Ukraine is how many chances does it get? Right. And, and, and going back to Dick's point that this is really a critical moment. And seizing that opportunity uh, is very important. And again, um, you know, the, 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 the strength is really in the Ukrainian people. And we should s see the Ukrainian people as an ally in that process and not an obstacle to be overcome. Any last comments? Yeah, let me answer this uh, question about Russian ownership. It's uh, been pretty squeezed out, uh, generally. Uh, previously, Lukoil had the Odessa refinery. It happened to be taken over in the Reading attack by uh, Yanukovych oligarch Kurchenko. Uh, uh, Rosneft had the Lysychansk uh, refinery. It is now stalemated by the war, hasn't worked for uh, a couple uh, of years, not likely to come back. There's only one refinery that is actually working. It's um, Kremenchuk uh, refinery that uh, a certain Igor Kalamoisky has uh, raided from uh, uh, Russian uh, Tatneft. Uh, and uh, Ukraine had to pay $100 million in damages uh, to uh, uh, Tatneft for this uh, reading through the European uh, uh, Court of uh, Human Rights in, in uh, Strasbourg. Babakov uh, indeed owns this VSE distributors, but this is not really all that, uh, that much. Uh, so the, uh, and Lukoil and uh, Rosneft have sold their uh, gas stations, not very many, to some unknown Swiss companies that we take for granted of themselves. So local uh, uh, gas stations are now called AMIC. I presume that is supposed to be amicable. And uh, the, the Rosneft uh, uh, <coughs> gas stations have also been uh, renamed. So this is not a big issue. That, that's uh, the, the main point about it. With regard to the regime of uh, independent um, producers, it has been awful. Uh, Olga talked about the uh, tax issues that is b uh, being fixed, I think. Uh, Steve talked about the licensing issue. The problem is that you have 11 agencies that are fighting each for their part of the rent, particularly the Minister of Ecology and Ministry of Energy, but uh, not only. There's been also a problem with access to pipelines and access to markets and price regulation. 
So this has been completely messed up. Uh, independent gas production fell by 3% last year. Uh, this has to be fixed. Uh, but uh, I did not discuss it because I don't think that it can be fixed in one year. Unfortunately, uh, it will take, uh, take longer time. Okay. 30 seconds. I won't speak much more other than to say there's a lot of opportunity here for those that are willing to uh, bet on the future. And, uh, uh, you know, it's not about this generation, it's about the next one. And uh, uh, the clock is running on this generation, no question, but the next one's waiting. And uh, that's life. And so there's a lot of, there's a lot of opportunity here that uh, I think, uh, as I said earlier, we need to, to accept an imperfect world and, and keep trying to make it better with each, uh, each year that passes. Thank you, Steve. Well, I think we, we, we had a great discussion and you, by now you know almost everything uh, about <laughs> Ukraine. But I, I wanted to end with a provocative question. Ed, you know more than I do about energy in Ukraine. How about becoming minister, uh, minister of energy? <laughs> My grandmother was not born in Odessa. <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> 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 On that note, let's thank our panel. It was a great discussion. <laughs>